wanna cause no problems. Mm. I just wanna live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, but you know when you see imposters, we know how to read them faces. Same way you know how to read them comments. If you wanna talk, let's talk. Hey everybody, and thank you so much for joining us on the Death to Vanilla podcast. I'm your host Stephen Burkhart with Burkhart Creative Agency, and I'm so excited that you're listening. So, uh, just a little recap about what the Death to Vanilla podcast is. I bring on guests who share with us uh, information from their industry, from their life experience that has helped them to stand out so they get noticed instead of getting ignored. And let's be honest, if your business doesn't get noticed, if it doesn't grab people's attention, you have no opportunity to sell to them and you have no opportunity to make an impact in their lives with your product or service. So the information they provide is huge for making making you more successful successful, and doing what it is you want. So on today's show, we have Tessa, and she is an incredible guest on the show. She uh, signed up last minute, so thank you for that, Tessa. And uh, she has done an incredible job of building a personal brand that has supported and is validated by her work history as a real estate agent, as a home flipper, uh, as someone who's built a, a great company called Leadflow to build a social media presence for real estate agents so they get a consistent pipeline of leads. And uh, But we really don't talk about stuff that's too realtor-specific, um, although it can be absolutely used for that. We just do a great job of really discussing what kind of content and strategies really work these days. And so one thing that I'll tease you with is uh, we talk a little bit about micro-controversy and how that can stir people up in the most tactful ways uh, to be able to draw attention and create engagement online with our content. And so we do a great job of talking through that and explaining that. So that's uh, about three quarters of the way into the show. So get your notepads out, uh, get your note-taking uh, apps ready to go, and uh, be sure to take some great notes on this incredible podcast uh, without further ado with Tessa. Well, hey everybody, welcome to the Death to Vanilla podcast. I'm your host, Stephen, with Burkhart Creative Agency, and we've got Tessa here, and she is our guest today. Super excited to have her on. And uh, she has really built several businesses. And so I think she knows a little bit about standing out um, and being noticed, right? Because like my t-shirt says, it's get noticed or get ignored. So uh, we have a, a noisy marketplace. And so you have to do something to stand out to actually get noticed because uh, you can't have people spend money on you if they don't know you exist, right? Amen to that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so if you could uh, just kick things off with uh, a little introduction to yourself, feel free to pat yourself on the back. That does not bother <laughs> me at all. I think everyone should be proud of their accomplishments. And, uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit about, like, how you got started and... Yeah, just like a little bit of the origin story. All right, I'll give. I'll try to do the Cliff Notes version because <laughs> it's been quite a journey. Um, but I moved down to Arizona in 2014, fresh out of high school, and I literally packed up like a little beater car and drove down here because I knew I wanted to do more. And uh, I was going to ASU. I was managing Dutch Bros Coffee at the time. <laughs> so you I'm have like a level 10 enthusiasm. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, actually, to be honest, that part always bothered me a little bit. When I was there, it was so much about really genuine connection. Okay. And that was something I learned a lot from. I actually always talk about it. I think I learned a ton of the core of who I am and like my core values from being at that company. Great company. Um, but anyways, I always wanted to get into real estate. And so I was working about a million jobs. I was sleeping very little, but I knew I wanted to invest in real estate. So I'd watch HGTV every now and then. 
and Flipper Flop, to be exact, who right. later became my clients, which was a cool, like, no full circle moment. That's so cool. Um, and I, like, wanted to do it so bad. So I put together a PowerPoint presentation with, like, all the cool transitions. I thought that would make or break it. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're hired. <laughs> and, um, and I just started talking to anyone and everyone that would listen. And eventually I got on a call with a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who like they said he has some money. And I was like, I don't really know what that means, but OK, I'll talk to him. And I went through my presentation on Skype and sat there and he said yes, like that he would be an investor. And so I was like, oh, shoot. OK, I had prepared for everything except for that, <laughs> except for you to actually, actually doing say the yes. Work. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I went out there, enrolled in my favorite university which is the university of google and i just started figuring it out and through that i documented everything on social media i was generating my own leads i was doing a lot of the marketing myself um, i will say it was in school at asu for marketing as well mm -hmm. not that that means anything in my opinion they hand you a textbook <laughs> on marketing and i was like all right well that's which <laughs> a I'm textbook sure is from 2009 is probably yeah. not going to have very relevant information um, but so I had always been drawn more towards the marketing side of it. Uh, and it was a piece that when you're in that phase of your business, you wear every single hat. So yes. I was doing that. Fast forward quite a bit. I flipped 23 houses that first year, kept rolling everything back over, built a traditional resale team, was the official real estate partner of the NBA's Phoenix Suns, um, all of these kind of things. And that's really what introduced me to the world of helping others and teaching others. Because once you start kind of amassing a little success in that, people say, how are you doing it? Like, I want to know. Right. So it started with, I would talk and I would teach and I would go to, to like teach little seminars and stuff. I started doing it for some people. Uh, and that's really where my original agency was born. As I just started helping out other uh, investors, title companies, pretty much anything around the real estate space, which quickly evolved to many other industries. But that's always been like my bread and butter. Um, and, you know, fast forward today, I've now developed multiple companies around essentially those key principles but it all came from I'm, I'm a huge practice what you preach person yeah and everything that i do is things that especially everything i talk about is something i've tested myself i've worked on myself or i've run through the hundreds of companies that we've run from or not companies accounts that we've run right. uh, from tiny agency accounts up to like large tv celebrities and so uh when i speak on things it's not just theory it's not just me like trying to guru up on a stage it's <laughs> like i'm talking about it because we've done it and we've proven it uh and i think that that's a really huge piece which could be why it works i, I would <laughs> i would beg to say that's probably it yeah so okay so you flipped homes and you sold them as mm -hmm. well as like kind of a more traditional yes. real estate agent see it's kind of crazy to me because i had uh, an, an interesting conversation an eye-opening one um probably about a year ago with a real estate agent that's a good friend of mine. He was like, he's like, Stephen, I got to tell you, most real estate agents don't sell any homes. Mm -hmm. And the some that do, it's like a home a year. So he's like, really, it's a very small percentage of real estate agents that actually sell a lot. So did you just, were you part of a brokerage or did you just happen to like really start figuring out the marketing aspect? Because you're, you're essentially in that small percentage, right? Yeah, so when I first started doing like the traditional side, it was more so to buy and sell my own properties that I was flipping. Mm. But from doing that, I noticed a few things. One, um, I got very on the inside of like the struggles and pain points of a traditional buyer or seller because I was that myself so many times. Right. And so I, was, I felt like I could understand it better. And I think having that ma marketing kind of spin to it, I could communicate that really well. 
And so then I naturally attracted people and I was able to kind of work through that. Um, I was a part of a local brokerage here, a few of them, um, but everything that we generated almost actually in 2018, and this was a huge, huge talking point for quite a while. It's probably some of the first speaking that I did was 2018. I did just under 33 million and over 85% of that came organically from social media. No wow. paid ads, nothing. It was all because I showed up on social media all the time. I was documenting the journey, good and bad, like yeah. it, all of it. And I think the transparency and authenticity allowed people to feel comfortable with me and my team and thus wanted to work with us because buying a house is scary and like talking about your finances is not a comfortable thing to do with somebody that you don't feel comfortable with. So I was able to kind of ease that a little bit more and I think that was a huge piece. Yeah, for sure. In, in line with what you talked about with sharing, I thought this was really good. And so uh, when I was like looking through some of your content, you had this amazing post and I'll just share just parts of it but you kick things off. This week, uh, I've been feeling a lot of things, mostly frustration, lack of motivation, exhausting, just all around uh, series of emoji faces. <laughs> um, so, and then, uh, and then you go on to say, regardless of what makes you feel that way, it's important to acknowledge it, feel it, but still not sit with it so long. So instead of wallowing in Downersville, I decided to do something about it, grab my journal, wrote down, and then you went in and talked about how you worked through it, mm -hmm. which I thought was really good because we've talked before about you know this idea of sharing but not oversharing, mm -hmm. and where some people share things that are like horrendously personal, <laughs> and it's like wow, this is like almost uncomfortable. Um, and I feel like sometimes people use like they overdo like the vulnerability mm -hmm. technique thing, and they kind of overstep their bounds. So I thought that was really good. Like you were vulnerable, you shared something really going on in your journey, um, but it wasn't like overly personal or weird or anything like that and it was very relatable Thank like you. because I know I've <laughs> definitely had days yeah. where you just wake up and you're like I'm literally doing what I've always wanted to do and yet I really don't want to do it right yes. now like what the frick is wrong with me yeah that <laughs> so. is a I think anyone who's even dabbled in like entrepreneurship or any or probably in more corporate careers as well you just have those days weeks or even months sometimes where it just feels hard yeah <laughs> it just does not flow that same way even though you asked for it yeah. you're like I wanted to be here and if you imagine <laughs> what else you could be doing you're like not, I mean I don't really have something that I would rather be doing I just right. don't know <laughs> it's like I've been a couch potato before that's not fun either yeah. so it's just like what do you do yes um, well, so th I think that's interesting. And I think um, like from a tactical standpoint, what kind of content you share is super important. And I do think people have a really hard time figuring that out a lot. And so obviously just kind of now we just talked about sharing uh, personal stories and sharing the journey. But something you said just a couple of minutes ago really piqued my interest, which is the idea of pain points, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, I know I have been guilty about talking like very being very educational, which I think is good. And I think you mm -hmm. do that as well. Um, but let's talk about pain points. Um, how uh, so obviously you learn that from being in the shoes of the people who you were now working with um, as the trusted advisor and, and expert. Mm -hmm. So um, how did you did you naturally start talking about pain points when you started talking about content? Like how often do you talk about them? Like walk us through some of that content aspect. Yeah, and I mean, to anybody who's been around marketing, some of this will probably sound so obvious, but it's like, I encourage people when thinking about content to think of those buckets of the people you want to have in the audience. And then whether, and oftentimes, your avatar is like some former version of yourself, which right. when I say that, sometimes people are like, oh wow, that's kind of true. I'm trying to help somebody who is in that 
feeling that I was at at some point. So I think a lot of times some self-reflection can be a huge starting point to figuring out those pain points. Um, second one is I'm super, I love conversation. Like I ask the hard questions and I'll ask somebody like, what are some of the things that you didn't like about this journey or this process or what have been the challenges? And like mm. some people will just not open up too much, but some will be very open to sharing that stuff. And if you listen, then you get all of the answers. And honestly, in business and in marketing, I believe you're given a roadmap. We just so often try to forge our own way and we don't pay attention to the roadmap that's given to us by consumers. Right. Like they're begging you for what they want and they're telling you the problems. You're just not listening. Um, one of my favorite ways to do that, and I encourage people to do this, is think about your competitors or like the people that inspire you or that you try and pull inspiration from their content or whatever, or big celebrities and go look through their comment section. Right. Because people in there, they are telling you their pain points. They're telling you what they like, what they don't like, their opinions that nobody asked for. But it's very helpful as far as <laughs> identifying what some of those points are. For sure. So then, yeah, first of all, you're, you're totally right. The, this is somewhat on the obvious side. However, I mean, what percentage of people do you actually see doing it? Very few. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like... It's one of those things where, and, and like I said, I, I've been just as guilty of it where I'm like trying to be educational and be mm -hmm. helpful at the same time though. Like we've all been a part of like a, uh, an advertisement or something like that where like you saw it and it just clicked and you were ready to buy uh -huh. and you weren't even necessarily planning on like even, um, <laughs> uh, Rylan, a content producer <laughs> would, uh, I was, uh, I was, I saw an ad on Instagram about, um, something bare cold brew <laughs> and it's like this cold brew company and i'm like i i don't know i just i just need it I right feel like now I need this. <laughs> and so i texted her i'm like hey have you seen this and she's like yes i already bought it <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh and so, so it was just funny because like clearly it worked like clearly we were the target market and yeah. so we're like yes maybe i do want box cold brew sitting in my fridge just ready to go at any moment's notice like <laughs> box wine or something i don't know oh, that's uh, so not good. that i endorse box wine but <laughs> Um, but you know, it's just funny, like how you'll have those things that just click. And I think it's because they touch on a pain point. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the easiest sale in the world because you're literally speaking their language and what's more relatable than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's some, and there's a couple ways to like really pull into it. Sometimes <laughs> the pain point hits on the emotion. Sometimes the pain point just hits on like simple entertainment. Right. I've been really trying to pay attention to advertising on TikTok because it's a very different approach. Like yeah. I've been around and surrounded myself with PPC, Facebook ads, all this stuff for years. So I'm very familiar with like a lot of those standard things that you see over and over. As an advertiser, you see it, you're like, yeah, I've been there, done that. But TikTok is a totally new format for so many. Uh, and the approach that they're using is really different. So it's funny to see how they create that same kind of like FOMO feeling, right. whether they're using an influencer you recognize, whether they're doing it in this format of this trend, like, and it's still hitting on those pain points, but in a very different way, using very short form content. So it's right. wild. Yeah, it's like when you first sit down and you and you're used to any different kind of marketing. Mm -hmm. I mean, YouTube, even if it's already video, and you're sitting down, like, how on God's green earth am I going <laughs> to say everything I want to say in 20 seconds? Yep. I mean, now it's like, what, three minutes that you can do a TikTok. But like even a minute, it was just like I'd be writing scripts for content that I wanted to do on there. And it's just like I don't even know if I can like give a complete thought in a minute. Like this is crazy. And obviously yeah. you get better at it. But so my question is and, and something I was literally thinking about this morning. So I'm glad we're talking about this is uh, converting the story that you want to tell into the different formats. Right. Mm -hmm. So like you said, TikTok is a completely different format. 
Um, and of course, Instagram's ripping it off with reels, but whatever. <laughs> um, they're still really short. Uh, so how have you gone through and transitioned your storytelling to different platforms? Because like, it feels like there's a new one coming out like every six months. And then it's like, <laughs> you got to figure it out, learn it. It's crazy. So yeah. anyways, enlighten us. Like, how, how have you gone through your storytelling journey platform specific? That is a really cool question, actually. Um, I think about it because, and I tell people this all the time, I say, I should, let's start with Instagram. I should be able to take 10% of your audience at any given point and pull them about your story and they should be able to hit on some key points of like who you are. Mm -hmm. And I say that because people get worried about being repetitive with what they're sharing. You should be saying your story in different ways, different words, different examples all the time. And when you read through like my content, that's what I'm doing. I'm telling my story over and over and over and over. And so whether somebody's followed me for a long time or they just started, they feel like they know me. Mm. But I'm having to repeat these things over and over for them to pull it. When I think of a content or content for a platform like TikTok, it's such micro exposures that that's actually I almost find it easier because I can just take one tiny piece of the story mm. and progress them over micro exposures on like maximum frequency. And they probably retain my story better because I, as we all know, our attention spans are like that of a freaking <laughs> mouse nowadays. Right. So if they're seeing it in such a short blip, um, I think it's just more so about the consistency and the frequency for which they're consuming it. So that would be my big thing is taking the still the long same story and just b breaking it down into so many like micro bites. Right. So I guess out of curiosity then, which, which yes, that's interesting you call them like little micro bites because that's I was obviously what that is. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say on Instagram, it looks like a lot of your content is like really high quality photos, by the way. You look amazing in all your photos. You. <laughs> and but but when we talk about TikTok, then we're almost talking about more like entertainment first. Yes. But then also sneaking in the message. So how have you gone from not like a formal way of doing it, but just like more not necessarily entertainment first? And then how have you transitioned into that? That's been a, a very interesting journey to me, honestly. And I was pretty resistant to TikTok for a little while. I was yeah. like, I, I did. I was one of those people that was like, I don't know about this. And I'm definitely not a TikTok master by any means. I'm still learning how to harness it for business. Yeah. I've only been experimenting on it, just like totally goofy, silly, seeing what works, what doesn't. And um, yeah, on so many other platforms, it's like the effort that you put in, like high quality does well. Yeah. And then on TikTok, it's like when you put high quality out there or you try really hard on something, it gets 10 views. And then the one <laughs> where I have like my side ponytail falling off my head and I'm like in my sweatshirt from that I woke up in, people love it. So it is really interesting that it's a different uh, way of kind of approaching that. But what I noticed is over the last like year or so on Instagram, people did respond so much better to my really real life stuff mm. more so than like I do work with professional photographers a lot and stuff like that so I have that content right. but some of the posts that do the best is when I like just snapped a selfie in the mirror or something with my phone and that was what performed best or I was holding up my phone and talking and so I think TikTok is playing into the fact that that's what is increasingly entertaining to people is seeing a real life person right. versus something that's just highly edited and really perfect and you're in the perfect pose and saying the perfect words so um i don't know it's still it's still a real life experiment for me to be honest it'll sure. be really interesting to see how TikTok continues to transform the way that brands communicate with um their consumers yeah i mean i think it's i think it's a, a big hurdle mm -hmm. i mean 
I feel like people have never had to communicate so much and so little. But like you said, you just you just kind of divvy down how much you're actually trying to communicate. But yeah, I think it's difficult. And as someone who makes content, like for me, it's always like, oh, it's it's quality, you know, on everything, right? But at the same time, like, and I I'm kind of curious to hear your perspective on that. Like, I remember when stories first came out on Instagram, and I felt like the feed was the formal. Mm And then the stories was like the authentic. Yes. Not that like the the feed was unauthentic, but when I mean authentic, I mean like the mirror selfie, where it's like okay, like you don't look perfect, and it's like not like the but you know the most killer photo ever as yeah. far as quality is concerned, but it's authentic. And then you share that on your story, you don't share it on your feed. Yes. It's so <laughs> At least true. that's how it used to feel. So you you feel like that's pretty similar? I do. I yeah. totally agree. Um, I think that that's definitely where it is. And here's the other piece is. I think a lot of uh, content and our marketing pieces so often is trying to identify, I mean, we try through targeting and whatnot to meet people where they are, but TikTok does it in a different way of content meeting them where they are. Mm. So you see a lot of these big brands that are taking their micro message and they're delivering it in the form of one of the trending videos, like where somebody's doing like the little, I don't know, I can't do any of the dances. I don't know that I ever will, (laughs) but that's how like a lot of- You should totally try on video, yeah. (laughs) That's how a lot of the like um, big brands on TikTok are meeting them where they are, which is probably why it's so effective versus like, you know, Facebook ads, a lot of times we're trying to tell a narrative. We're trying to pull them through this consumer journey versus meeting them just right where they are. So I think that piece is funny, but what you, what you just said is very true. I think it's more of that like authentic wasn't quite as polished. Instagram feed has even changed a little bit in that way in my, in my own opinion. Um, and I love quality when I say, when I'm talking quality, I'm talking about not having it so, um, produced versus like, I still love high quality video. I don't want to see something blurry out there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in having fun with it and letting kind of like authentic, um, personality shine through. So, I mean, from my perspective, that is a perfect mix to be able to show two sides, right? Mm -hmm. Which is your personality. But then there is something to be said. Like, I know people really like to ring the bell for like phone made content, mm-hmm. which and, and obviously works and, and has worked for many people. But at the same time, I sit there and I think, you know, if you want to be taken seriously and you're in an industry where people are trusting you with a lot of money or a lot of responsibility or stuff like that, like if, if Bank of America came out with a video that looked like it was made on a phone <laughs> and that was like their actual ad, I'd be like, yeah. Uh, no, because guess what? They're holding all of my money, and so I don't want that trusted to someone who I don't think. And, and granted, Bank of America already has uh, a brand mm-hmm. built, right? So I'm thinking more of like on the building side. So do you feel like have have you been strategic in the sense that you have really high quality content so that people take you seriously, and then authentic content so people get to know you personally? Is that how you do that? Or is that just like say, kind yeah. of naturally just what you're doing? I would say that's probably, I don't know that it was strategic initially yeah. as much as it turned into that was kind of the strategy. Um, I used to be like, oh my gosh, I used to pay so much attention to what my Instagram feed looked like. If there was one thing out of place, I was like, nope, it's not going up there. <laughs> um, so I thank gosh I've freaking retired that mentality because it kept me from sharing a lot of stuff. Oh, and I realized okay. that the transparency and like the authenticity is where you could connect with people. So I would say 
quality definitely helps with professionalism. It helps you be taken seriously, um, especially depending on the audience you're trying to communicate to. Sure. But then having those storytelling moments and having some of the stuff every now and then that's like a pattern interrupt, it helps you stay relevant too. Um, I mean, I always think about, I'm like obsessed with studying how people create micro controversy, particularly celebrities mm. to stay like really relevant. Right. And I think in a very, very moderate way, that's sort of how you can do it with content too, that if I have majority of my photos are something that's like clearly taken with a professional photographer and it's in this like nice post thing, and then I drop something in there that's like taken with my phone or a selfie, that's a pattern interrupt. And now people mm. are more likely to like click on that, go back to my profile, dig around in some stuff, be like, has she lost her mind? Is she okay? I don't mind what people think as long as they're consuming the content, they're getting the same effect. So that's kind of like creating micro controversy by mixing up the content too every now and then. Okay, so that's like, that's absolutely perfect. Right. So, okay. So we're the, obviously the, the podcast, we've mm -hmm. talked about this even before, right? The podcast is all about doing something that makes you stand out. And so uh, obviously nailing pain, pain points mm -hmm. that helps you stand out, having quality helps you stand out. But I'd really like for us to dig into different ways you've done micro controversy because I, for one, I've never heard anyone describe it that way. So that's amazing. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> Go for um, it. <laughs> I might give you credit. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love that idea because there is something like, like the death of vanilla. Vanilla is mm -hmm. when there's like nothing exciting or bad about it. But then when you have controversy, you have like, ooh, like, mm -hmm. like you're right. It does grab people for a second because it's um, a pattern interrupt and, uh, my history is like in music and so there's like this thing that like every 15 seconds or with 30 seconds something in the music needs to change you mm -hmm. need to add an instrument or add some harmony or do something like that and when you hear songs that don't have it you're like wow I can't believe I just muscled through three minutes of that song <laughs> yeah. because you and then that's when you realize like oh it's because things didn't change enough mm -hmm. for, to keep it interesting right and so dive in a little bit different ways that you've created micro controversy because I think this is huge because it's a little bit of a risk, yeah. right? Because you got to do something a little bit out of the ordinary, um, and maybe someone's not excited to share <laughs> a phone picture of themselves, <laughs> or, or you know, especially if it's a bigger business, yeah. right? You know, how are they going to explain why they're setting something out there that's of low quality? Yeah, in the minds of people who are used to a certain level of production value. So walk us through a little bit about that. Okay, so I, I'll give a couple examples of, of ways on that, but I also think in today's like society that we're in, now more than ever, it used to be really safe for brands to say, okay, we're gonna stay super neutral on everything. We're not yeah. gonna dip our toe into that. But now that almost gets you in more trouble than, for, than standing for something. I know so many brands that people have like taken a big stand against because they didn't speak out about some big, you know, thing that was going on over the past 12, 18 months. Um, now that everybody's on different sides of the fence, but my one phrase that I love to go with by that is polarity is power. That's mm. the exact thing when I talk about micro controversy is like you can stand for something and not be afraid to create a little bit of pol polarity without creating like World War Three. We don't need to do that. There's <laughs> enough craziness on social media, but enough to get 
things talking, get people talking. Um, you'll earn much more loyal fans and you may also eliminate some people from your audience, but they probably weren't there to buy from you anyways. They were probably there to like dog on you or be the ones right. that are like talking poorly anyways. Or just consume um, your free content exactly. and then move on. <laughs> or, or wait for when you give away free stuff and like yeah. get the free sunglasses and run away. Um, so, that, so that part I think is really big. You build such a more loyal tribe uh, and it's really important nowadays. So some of the ways, like I've seen larger brands do that, that I think is really cool is, let's say every piece of content on social media is very polished, very professional, great. Then maybe once a week or once a month, whatever frequency, they do like a, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, like a roundup of user generated content. Okay. So yeah. like it's all of, let's say we're talking about like a phone case and everything's all these professional photos and stuff. And then on Fridays they do like user generated content where it's people actually having that phone on, taking a selfie in the mirror and they post like 10 of those. Like that would be a really cool way to break up the content, get people subscribed to what you're doing. Cause they're like, Oh, maybe mine could get posted. Yeah. Uh, and it, it kind of keeps that real life element there. Cause to be honest, like super produced flat lay content of like a product, it gets freaking boring after a while. That doesn't yeah. generate anything for me. I'm not feeling any emotion. You're not giving me any value. It looks pretty, but like I can only look at pretty things for so long before I want some excitement. Yeah. So I think that's one big way to do it. I think another is to um, like always drip out culture from your company. Like whether you're a one man team or one million people strong, you've got company culture. Um, and when we can let that shine through social media and through our marketing, that's really cool. Like think about um, Chipotle's Twitter people. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's hilarious. No, I mean, I've oh, seen my gosh. Wendy's. A lot of them have but, have since stepped it up, but I want to say Chipotle might have been one of the first on having okay. like a very big personality behind their Twitter. Right. And people would get like they loved it. It was so funny. They would like clap back at people sometimes. They would like respond to funny tweets. Um, they would say things. And I think that's like sh letting culture shine through. And then people love it. They get super invested into that. Right. And they spread salmonella, which is like totally controversial. So <laughs> there you go. That's their micro controversy right there. They wanted you to talk about it. It was that. a little bit more than micro. I think they almost uh, shut themselves down. Um, <laughs> Sometimes it gets a little out of hand. <laughs> I was actually really scared yeah. that there would be no more Chipotle. Oh my gosh, that would be devastating. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like really sad. I'm like, please, God. <laughs> that would have created some market opportunity, though, for a new business to slide in there. <laughs> right? I know. We all have limitations, right? And so I'm sure you have an incredible team of marketers as a part of your business, if you're a CMO or your marketing director. And so one, two things really that we run into a lot is one is that the marketing agency in its current form uh, has a limited bandwidth and needs to be able to have a trusted partner to come in and increase their firepower. Two, they know how to storytell story within the business, but they don't necessarily know how to translate those stories into the newer platforms like the TikToks, like the reels on Instagram stories. Uh, they don't know how to storytell in these new ways. And so uh, we take our expertise and our video production, photography skills and create content that tells the story of your business in these spaces. Now, additionally, we have strategy and we have advertising that we're able to do as well to make sure on the strategy side that we're walking into the content with a kind of 
focus and messaging that is needed to make an impact and on the distribution side with advertising to make sure that the content that is being made is reaching the right audience at the right frequency at the right you know time to make sure that it's making an impact and eventually leading to increased revenue for your business so please reach out to us, schedule an inquiry call. It's with me. It's not with a salesman. There's no pressure. I'm here to be a trusted advisor. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And if it does work, well, I think you're going to have a great partner in crime. So uh, please reach out to us. Um, If you're listening to this as an audio podcast, just check our descriptions. We'll have a link to make that inquiry call today. Well, Qdoba didn't do it. Yeah. So you know what's so funny? Coming from my hometown, Qdoba was the place, and everyone like dogged on Chipotle. It was like gross. Like, ew, you wanted Chipotle? Qdoba was the place. And then when I moved down here, it was like, no, there was maybe like one Qdoba, and people didn't even like it. So it's so funny that that changed because I grew up and it was not the narrative. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 funny as as much as we're like of a global mindset, you don't you forget that there are some places that there are businesses and not other mm-hmm. places, especially in the States, you kind of assume like everyone has everything, but yeah. that's a hundred percent not true at all. Like, yeah, I think there was one, uh, for those who are in Phoenix, uh, what, what Tatum and cactus, there was a Qdoba for mm-hmm. like a long time. There was one kind of by the ASU campus. Okay. Um, but I, they may have even gone out of business. It was like, yeah. so well, the one at Tatum and cactus <laughs> is definitely not there yeah. anymore. And it's like, I don't know. I felt like they were the same. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, yeah, this it's it's wild, um, and I think I think that's an important thing to think about. Is um, and and I come from like the my history is like in the wedding world, and everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, collaboration over competition, all this stuff. It's a cute thing to say, and it's not necessarily <laughs> wrong. Yeah. But the reality is, is there's market share. Yeah. And so Qdoba lost. And Chipotle won. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily know if I have like a uh, answer as to why, but th- that's a real thing. Like you lose if uh, you don't get noticed, which I think is why that micro content is so important. If you don't get noticed, like you can totally lose market share and yeah. then your business doesn't make it anymore. Do you want to know my actual theory of Chipotle Qdoba? Absolutely. I And I think it plays into what you're talking about is... Um, around the time that I started to notice a shift of like popularity there is like 2013, 2014. And I would say that right around that time is when we had a big uptick in people caring a lot about health and like mm-hmm. nutrition. And Chipotle went the route of presenting their food as like a healthier option. Kidoba stuck to like, yeah, we have queso, we've got all the, like yeah. they stuck to that route. And I honestly think that was one of the big pieces of the divide is they, and whether intentional or it just happened that way, Chipotle stuck onto a new trend that was a little different. They pivoted in that direction and then they took massive market share. Now they've introduced, you know, uh, queso and all these other things. So yeah. like, I don't know that they're so healthy, but um, they at least were portrayed that way and then market consumed it. Well, I mean, it works. I uh-huh. 100% feel really great about Same. all of the really healthy massive <laughs> amount of carbs that I eat when I eat Chipotle because you know the rice mm-hmm. so but yeah it's because I'm sitting there I'm like you know I'm eating real food this yeah. is real, real vegetables like this is amazing when they've got photos of like farms and vegetables in there and all this kind of stuff like they're doing a good job actually, from Cafe, the entire Cafe experience. Rio does actually a really good job of that really yeah. I haven't really dabbled with Cafe Rio much oh my gosh first of all worst customer service ever <laughs> at any location oh, at no. any time at any level of busyness <laughs> I don't know why 
Um, but if you get a smothered burrito, it'll change your life. So, sorry, fat kid. So, <laughs> no, that sounds dangerously good. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's so good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and they, they totally have pictures of like farms. They literally make the tortillas in front of you. Oh and my like gosh. the whole nine yards. That's really cool. So, clearly, I need to eat. <laughs> yeah, we went Going on a tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> bring it back, bring it back. Um, yeah, okay, cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. That is amazing. I love that idea of micro controversy. And I think for a lot of businesses, and I don't know if you have any good ideas you want to share uh, on it specifically, but, um, you know, we have these like really hot button issues. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are afraid to touch them and for good reason, mm -hmm. because like your business could disappear overnight if oh, you yeah. say the wrong thing. And so do you feel like there are what other areas do you see that you can be controversial in um, that are safer? I don't even know if that's like possible, but yeah. I don't know, I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when I say controversial and like polarity and stuff, I'm not just talking about like racial issues sure. or politics or something. It could be- um, But that has redefined a lot of businesses. Absolutely, yeah. it has in the best ways and in the absolute yes. worst ways. So to your point, it could, destroy you overnight. I would probably say some of the other ways you could go about it might be like some of your larger aff affiliates, like other influencers or celebrities that you kind of like associate with, even as a very small brand, having like who wore it better with the Met Gala, mm -hmm. things like that is ways to kind of create little tiny micro controversies by hopping onto trends, getting into some of the gossip safely uh, and messing right. around with that kind of thing. I've had multiple brands that did their own version of like Met Gala reviews. So they would do a who wore it better with two people and then they would do a who wore it better with like two of their products. And so they're tying it back into their own brand Brilliant. while attaching a little bit of kind of like micro, you know, just getting people because everybody loves to share their opinion when given the opportunity. Everyone's like, yes, mine wins. Um, and so if you create that first and then bring it back to your business, like now they're like, oh, I, now I want to have an opinion on this. So maybe I should purchase it. Maybe I should engage with that. And they've just like, you know, engaged more with your content. It's crazy. Right. Well, I think that is what you said right there is an amazing concept because for me, that does help solve the problem of or the the challenge in like the TikToks and the reels and the stories and stuff like that, because uh, what you're talking, what you're explaining, I feel is entertainment mm -hmm. and then uh, brand building. Yes. Right. And so why not do a TikTok on who wore better? That's a perfect example yeah. of that. If you're an apparel company, do it. Just do it now. Yeah. <laughs> go, yeah. go make your before and after. But that's a brilliant idea. Like I, I I'm usually so busy worried about like how I'm marketing and, and you know, the, like the podcasts we have and the shows that we have that sometimes it can be a little exhausting to think about some of those one-offs, but mm -hmm. those are like relevant things that are happening that are getting massive traction in the moment. And it's just in the, at that point, you just got to take enough time to spend a minute thinking about it and yeah. make a little video. And then it's like you go. fast action and maybe yeah. it hits, maybe it doesn't, but yeah. it's, that's really what it's about in such a fast paced like world right now. Cause if you thought out an entire storyboard for a campaign, built all this stuff around it, like that's a couple weeks in the, in the, over. in the works. Yeah. And now that trend has died and there's been three others that have happened since then. So I think that's honestly one of the bigger challenges for marketers trying to get into like fast paced content, like TikTok or reels is it's, fast action like you have to be able to literally see a trend hop on it within the day or within the like at least 48 to 72 hours or else you've missed the opportunity right well that's kind of interesting like like literally i'm thinking of a non-business example 
that blew my mind. So my buddy, like a couple years ago, went to this like horrendously boring conference. I'm not even gonna say what it was. <laughs> um, and he ended up shooting some videos in the hotel room after day one and shared mm -hmm. and got like more YouTube views than I have ever gotten in mm -hmm. my life, maybe even put together about something that, as far as I'm concerned, nobody's looking for. Mm -hmm. But it was super timely. And I think that's amazing. And I'm, and I'm thinking about, like, I, I want to say it was like, uh, I'm assuming you follow Gary Vee. Yes. Yeah. Well. I'm not a huge fan, I will be honest. <sighs> that might be my micro controversy right here. I don't even know if that's a micro controversy. That's like medium controversy. <laughs> um, so, but he had talked about like how he had like these teams of people, like I want to say it was like during the Super Bowl or something mm -hmm. like that, who were just like poised and ready to make content. Yeah. And I think that's super smart. Like, and so I guess to your point, if you're a bit, if you're a bigger business that's a little slower to the punch, mm -hmm. which you, you can't necessarily help if you have like a dozen people working through mm -hmm. marketing, um, then maybe you just have a calendar and you like are ready to rock and you just have like these things ready to go and then as things happen then you can like comment on them or make a video yeah. about them or something like that so it's like super relevant on uh as far as timeliness mm -hmm. and then you're also kind of managing the fact that you can't move fast i mean yes. you can move super fast mm -hmm. but a company that's got a thousand people can't yeah so that preparedness i guess would yeah be I don't know. That's my thought on that. I would say preparedness. And then also, like, I mean, with larger brands, I think that now more than ever, they need to have somebody who's kind of like a face on some of these um, fast acting mm -hmm. platforms. Like, I always go back to thinking about progressive from or flow from oh, progressive. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like brands need to create that for themselves larger brands i think yeah. on something like TikTok, and then people get invested in that peloton there's this one peloton instructor who's like this amazing like his commentary is ridiculous i honestly didn't even know about him until TikTok because people were putting up little clips of him being funny while teaching on a bike and people started putting that up there and now he's like the face of the peloton Dang. TikTok account like and it came to be because of kind of accidental but i think brands can larger brands can do that intentionally and it would help them be fast acting when some kind of trend comes up because if somebody's there they're the face of it they're on that platform they'll know the trends that are coming and can kind of jump on it quickly so it's a little risky right because yeah. you're putting a lot of power into one person's hands but at mm -hmm. the same time it's also risky not to be fast enough so yeah. Okay, so we got we got to double back to this Gary Vee stuff. Okay. So why do you not like him as much? <laughs> okay, when I say that, I respect the heck out of him. He's sure. incredible. I think a lot of his concepts are great. I think that his um, delivery on a lot of stuff, like, oh, I can't tell you how aggressively I cringe when I see those video clips where, like, a young kid comes up to him and is like, my dad said that I could be whatever I want and I want to be an entrepreneur. And Gary's like, you fucking suck. You're never going to do anything. And I'm like, that was so not like uh, productive for anybody. Yeah. Like there was nothing out of that that got somebody to feel good. In fact, most people are like, cool, well, now I don't want to come talk to you or, or pursue my dreams. So I know that a big piece of that is his brand. That's his like who he is and how yeah. he's built himself. But that's my only piece is he really only says the same five or ten things over and over and over and over as far as concepts. Yeah. Uh, and it's always in the very aggressive way. And so for me, it doesn't land quite as much. Um, what I can take from that, though, and what I think is is very valuable is 
the repetition of the key points is mm. major, right? Because you want to lock those in. That's your pillars. That's what you stand for. Um, but I think that he could use a dash of like switching it up a little bit. You don't have to have every single video be you like screaming curse words at us and like doing it so much like that, which you think with his whole jab, jab, right hook, you would understand, but I have yet to see one. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. You're worried about me roasting people. Shoot. <laughs> hey, I had a little day quill today, so maybe that's what's talking. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, he definitely has an interesting style mm -hmm. and it's definitely not for everyone. Yeah. And I know, so I followed him pretty solidly for about two and a half years, and then I just felt kind of burnt out. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of that is just realizing like who you are as a person, and like I just I don't have that level of energy in my mm -hmm. life, <laughs> yeah. and so part of it is just like I can't like it's exhausting for me to listen to mm -hmm. um, because uh, I just don't operate like that. Yeah, um, and so that that was. But yeah, I think, if anything, really to your point that you had said a while ago is that repetition. Mm -hmm. And so I remember someone in a, in a podcast I was listening to talking about like, at about the time that you're ready to throw up when you say <laughs> your tagline again is when people start saying it for the first time. Yes. And I'm like, that is insane to me and no thank you. So in the theme of repetition. What kind of themes or things have you found to be super helpful in being repetitious? Um, because it can feel like you're just mm -hmm. really ragging on something, but at the same time, it could be something really important. And to your point, what is it like? 30% of the people that are following you actually see like anything that if you that, post. Yeah, yeah I mean, and the larger you get, the less see it. And right, so yeah, you percentages get, are crazy, when yeah. you, especially when you grow like in you know, thousands of followers. Mm -hmm. So what kind of themes have you found that you really riff on a lot that's been the most beneficial for you? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, so when it comes to like educational-based content, I always try to come back to some kind of formula, method, or like acronym. I used to always just write things. And this is actually, I'll give some credit where credit is due to one of my business partners in one of the companies we have on coaching. Every time we talk about something or we teach on a subject, he has got this incredible way of being like, okay, I'll give you an example. Actually, we were talking about imposter syndrome, okay. which is a great topic. Yes. I've talked about it many times. Love it. And uh, we always are very on the same page with the solution he so we were talking about it we we're like okay you got to identify it you need to change the language uh you, you need to execute you need to take action he's like yeah ice it out i c e and he's like now we had this whole like package around it and so now that's this thing that everyone involved in our coaching program knows when imposter syndrome comes up you ice it and okay. I was like, you identify it, you change your language, and you execute. And I was like, wow, that is so cool. Brilliant. So <laughs> things like that become so easy for people to remember yeah. um, and attach themselves to. So that's a big piece. Another one is I think always having an, you know, a couple of the key things that you believe in that are now come become kind of like your go-to phrases. Like um, another thing, everyone who works with me, I always talk about auditing yourself. Like pulling back for a second, paying attention to whether it's auditing your feelings and emotions, it's auditing your uh, productivity or lack thereof. It's like always something that you do auditing yourself on social media. So that phrase or that word has become like, oh, there she goes again. Right. Um, but when you create that, now people start to recognize it. Even the polarity is power is one I've said for years. 
um, and it just always falls into conversation. So I think having some things built around the pillars of the stuff that you like to talk about or the main topics of discussion, whether it's for a brand or a personal brand, everyone's got kind of those key pieces. So develop more of some kind of like packaged acronym around it or something that you can always go back to. Right. Now that's, that's having a framework for something is so huge. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like you talked about, people start talking about it and it ends up starting to like answer their own questions mm-hmm. because they're gonna be like ready to message you like, what should I do about this? And be like, well, have you audited your time? Exactly. And, like, oh. <laughs> and then so then before they even text you, like, oh, she's just gonna ask me this. Yeah. And then and then already you're making progress because people are able to work through it on their own, which means you're actually teaching them how yeah. to do it. So. And I think when you do that, you create anchors. And yeah. so then just like you said, before they even reach out again or start to complain about it or when they start to feel it, they can check themselves uh, in the same way. So it's really effective. Right. So out of being respectful for your time, <laughs> I wanted to at least have you talk a little bit about your uh, lead gen business, yes. since that seems to be what is um, a lot of your time right now, right? I don't, yeah, I would say so. Are you, are you talking about lead flow? Yes. Okay. So ironically, that's a lot less based around lead generation as much as it is content management. So lead flow okay. is a subdivision of my agency, and it's really specialized for people who are real estate agents, brokers, or like in-home services. We have some roofing companies, awnings, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's creating their content, helping them manage consistency and a really efficient brand voice online. And of course, that then leads into lead generation and some sure. of those other assets. But I always urge people to like really master organic stuff first because like we talked about at the beginning, the organic stuff, if you listen, they're telling you what they want to pay for. So then if we bring in lead generation or ads, that kind of thing, we've already collected so much data as to what people like organically. So it makes it a lot easier. So we focus first on the organic side, pushing people into really effective strategies and then can transition other ways when they need it. Right. Well, it's kind of funny, like the mindset that goes into that, because I feel I feel like when it's a smaller business, organic can sound kind of crazy because um, it's it's a long term thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it doesn't happen overnight. And I feel like people think that you can just flick a switch on advertising and and completely change the game. But at the end of the day, you and I both know you can't you can't outspend badly done content. Yeah. No. Like you can't spend enough money for to have it resonate with people. It just means that more people won't resonate with it, and exactly. you spent money to have it. Happen. And then you're pissed at your ads agency, <laughs> right? And then I feel like bigger companies then, because they have money, are more willing to go to the advertising first, mm-hmm. when in fact they could actually have massive results because they actually have the budget to spend on doing exactly. organic, which is I don't know, it's crazy. So. Um, okay. and, and it really goes back to it. I like to think that is your security blanket too. Mm-hmm. If you start with organic, then if your ad account gets you know disabled or something happens, because those things happen. Oh, it did to me recently. <laughs> it happens. It got totally hacked. It but if you're able to go back and default to already having like an organic strategy and a strong you know base of people that love that about you, then it's such a nice place to lean on initially. Because then ads is a supplement. It's not everything. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of feel like strategy or uh, sorry, that uh, the leads is a strategy part mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, like a lot of people, well, I mean, there's people on both sides, right? So there's people that are really good at strategy, but not good at content. 
people good at content but not necessarily strategy and so I feel like that's they're, they're, they live together. You, they have to yes. because at the end of the day, if you get attention but you don't know what to do with it, then you still haven't made any money. Yeah. But most people don't think about all of the steps that go into doing that. And it's like, okay, well, you got the attention, but where do they go on your website? Um, what action do you want them to take? Uh, yes. Oh um, what's your process in turning them to a customer? Uh, and it's like, okay, well want to make money right so yeah. that, it's so true everybody and that's a big reason too why i start with organic and then we can go into paid stuff is because a lot of people's priorities are way out of whack when they yeah. first say they want to start doing ads and they don't have a strategy they don't have a brand voice they don't have these other pieces so yeah i could take your money and, and run ads for you but you're not going to be happy with it and then i'm not going to be happy with that result because most people come to me being burned by a previous agency i'm right. sure you like everybody has and I think so much of that comes from not setting the stage properly and helping them establish that organic piece. And then- When understanding what success even looks like for yeah. that business. Like, why do you want 10,000 followers? Unless, <coughs> or do you want $10,000 or 10,000 followers? That's your choice. Which one are you gonna choose? And if you're gonna choose just 10,000 followers, then we're not a good fit. Because <laughs> I would much rather help you turn this into like an efficient, sustainable business. The followers come, but let's focus on where we can drive revenue. Right. It's a long-term game. <laughs> and it just keeps getting more complicated. Yes, yes. <laughs> but cool, awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of your insight. Um, I think it's really good. I know I have taken away so much. Yeah, I'm going to change everything. Just kidding. I'm just saying that for Rylan's benefit so she can <laughs> So she have can shake in her boots. A micro heart attack. <laughs> um, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, for those who are looking to find out more about you, if you, uh, we'll obviously put in uh, like the comments or descriptions uh, all of your contact information, mm -hmm. um, like platforms and stuff like that, not your phone number. <laughs> Social security um, <laughs> number, <laughs> yeah. whatever you need. Yeah, we'll just do a scan <laughs> of it, share it out. But uh, yeah, if you could tell people where to find you and where you're most active, uh, so they can actually get a hold of you. Uh, yeah, share away. truly, my best place to connect with me is on Instagram because there's if you're going to any other source, you're gonna have to get through assistance and whatnot. But like, if you message me on Instagram, it may take me a second to get to you, but I'll always get back. So find me on Instagram at Tessabella, which is T E S S A A B E L L A A. It's like Mississippi, but Tessabella. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of double letters, yeah. and that's the best place to connect with me. Especially tell me that you came from this podcast. So. I know where you came from and we can find a way to help out. Heck yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for watching. Really appreciate it. Um, I know I got a lot out of it, like I just said, but um, a lot of actionable things. And so we'll be sure to share that with you guys, both as this podcast and um, as micro content as well. So, awesome. and uh, yeah, I was thinking of something micro controversial to say at the end, <laughs> but I don't have Gary anything. Sucks. I know what? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. All right. Thank you for watching. <laughs> Wanna cause no problems. Mm. I just wanna live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Yeah. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, yeah. but you know when you see imposters, yeah. we know how to read them faces. Same way you know how to read them comments. If you wanna talk, let's talk. But right here, make sure you walk and your talk is constant. Thank you so much for watching this episode of the Death to Vanilla podcast. Now, if you made it this far, I'm guessing you probably heard something that was inspiring or helpful, and we would love to hear about it. So if you could drop that information in the comments or shoot me an email, Stephen at BurkhartCreativeAgency.com. That would go a long way to helping us choose guests and create content that really bring you value. Now, Instagram is my favorite social media platform, but I'm sure you have yours. And so we encourage you to find us 
on your favorite platform so that you have a chance to learn more about marketing that can help you out. Now they say, a rising tide rises all boats. So we ask that you would like, subscribe, and follow us so that way the traffic that we get to our channel helps all of the guests that have been on. Our traffic is their traffic and that helps everybody out and it's super easy to do. So if you could rate us, like us, add us, follow us, whatever you need to do to help us out, that would go a long way. So we appreciate you and hope to catch you on the next episode of the Death of Vanilla podcast.